Hi, this is Michael, and this is the Hollywood Hustle Podcast. I feel like when a story reveals like some kind of truth, whatever it is, like I think if the goal should always be to like communicate like a truth, because I think so much of how we communicate and socialize is like putting up barriers to like block from the truth or like the deeper like emotion and stuff. And I think that's what storytelling can provide for people is that cathartic release and acknowledgement of the truth. Hello and welcome. My name is Michael Lutheran and I am the producer of the podcast and I would like to welcome you returning listeners and new to episode 41, our second episode of season two here on Hollywood Hustle. Uh, Today, we're going to be bringing you act two of our interview with director, screenwriter, and creator of the YouTube channel Lessons from the Screenplay, Michael Tucker. Now, being that this is my first introduction on the pod in 2018, I'd like to wish you all a very happy and healthy new year. 2017 was a year of growth. Obviously, here at Hollywood Hustle, the show, the podcast itself was founded, and together, Daniel and I were able to launch this vision that he's had for this show, a platform that highlights the hard work of artists here in Los Angeles. Now, from my point of view, it's been amazing watching this show take form and find itself in a way as we continue to interview artist after artist. And like you, I was inspired by the the work and spirit that people like Kurt Mega, Eric Knight, Ashley, uh, and Todd Nunez, Ali Williams, Jazz Trice, and just so many more, and seeing what they brought to their careers every day. And it got me to thinking, it's time for me to get back to my creative hustle. As returning listeners may recall, 2017 was also a year of learning for me, learning my boundaries, and recovering and learning from an injury that happened uh, back in August. I find myself at times still trying to bring myself back And speaking with you, our supporters, and through many, many talks with Daniel, I can tell you that I am fired up for this year. I'm ready for new opportunities, establishing new relationships, and of course, nurturing existing ones as well, finding new ways to be creative, and of course, help this podcast continue to thrive and grow. Since last week's release of Michael Tucker's Act One interview, Daniel and I have met a lot to discuss upcoming guests and plans for this year. We're already booked with interviews into June, you guys. It's it's insane, and we are so excited, and it's your support that makes it all worth it. Please join our online community by engaging with us on social media. On Twitter, we're at LA Hustlecast, and on Instagram, we're at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Our host, Daniel, has been working hard and making sure there is amazing content posted every day for you guys with unique content on each platform. So continue to follow us and engage with us. We love hearing from you guys. Also, at the end of this episode, please remember to submit a review for us wherever you're listening to this podcast, especially on iTunes. We hope it's a five-star review because that will help us on our tracking on iTunes and we can get more listeners that way. And if there are any ways that we can improve the show, we'd love to get your insight. And if you know of anyone here in Los Angeles whose hustle you would say fits our show, 
please contact us. Uh, send your thoughts and any referrals you may have to Hollywood Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. With all that said, let's get today's episode underway. Act two with Michael Tucker. Daniel and Michael are back, except this time they're joined by another Michael, and you guessed it right, me. And in this episode, we dive into story, why it's important, and the roles that it plays in our lives. We share the experiences of films and shows that have touched our lives and shown us the truths of humanity. We also discuss practical tips and strategies to navigating the job market when it comes to moving to Los Angeles. And you'll hear that includes not wearing sandals to your job interview. Fasten your headphones and listen with your friend whose name is also Michael and get ready for our first roundtable discussion of 2018. Take it away, Daniel. Thank you, Michael. Welcome back. We are here once again with the wonderful creator, host, producer, writer, director, wonderful human being, effects artist <laughs> from the YouTube channel, Lessons from the Screenplay, Mr. Michael Tucker. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing yeah, very well. I'm just going to stare at you quietly. Just, oh, okay. Just enjoy the moment. <laughs> uh, also with, it is, with us is my own very own uh, subreddit, Michael Lutheran. <laughs> How does it feel, Daniel, to be overpowered by Michaels at the table? <laughs> There's too many the Michaels. The Michael majority is there. Exactly. You know the beginning of next year of, of 2018 is going to be very Michael heavy in this podcast. It's we true. we have another mic that we recorded with. We have a Mike Tobias and we have Michael Tucker. So <laughs> even the MT, the Michael T, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It's... Now we just need Anthony Michael Hall and uh, I'll feel like we've completed something. Or are you going to like... The rest of the guests, they're all going to be Daniel <laughs> yeah. something. Okay. If you're a Daniel and you're a creative, please email us. We got to get you on. <laughs> He's feeling very lonely. Too. The one I mentioned in the last episode that I met a guy through Michael's uh, Google Hangouts. His name is Daniel, actually. That's right. So I can get him on and it'll, we'll be somewhat even. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Michael, how are you doing? What's oh, going on? I'm doing great. I had a really good time listening to you guys and for the Act One yeah. discussion. What was your? What do you feel you took away from that conversation first of all i'm just a big fan of lessons from the screenplay uh so it, I was, I was it's pulling out compliments for you <laughs> right <laughs> thank, you, thank you we don't have to pay for this right <laughs> this is part of the patreon package <laughs> you get to do a podcast <laughs> well it's really great because as, as daniel said in the previous episode we enjoy your youtube channel a lot and it's very easy to we're not going to stop saying that it, it's very easy to watch this type of content but not think about the hours and the journey that it comes to creating a video. So I really appreciated uh, you talking about that and also really cool finding out that you're also from Northern California when you're (laughs) talking about the uh, natural animosity that's somewhat (laughs) built between NorCal and SoCal. Like it is real. It is real. And I don't understand it. Like (laughs) when I tell my family like, oh yeah, I'm here living in Los Angeles. They're like, ugh. Why, was, why does it have to be that right. way? Like, <laughs> that's like, where you've been? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like there was never a clear reason established for it. Yeah. It's just well, like, that's what North versus South. It's just a natural <laughs> thing that happens. Well, and the reasons that many people will sometimes give about, oh, you live in Los Angeles, it's like the same reasons that you might not like LA are, can be applied to San Francisco or Oakland or all of these other cities. So yeah. they're not LA specific. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I feel like, um, you know, one of the things on the other end, Michael, with your, sh- your show is it's easy, it's easy for someone to create something that you've created and just have like 
screenshots and then videos of them talking about the screenplay and maybe showing the screenplay mm-hmm. and then another screenshot and then again them showing <laughs> and then maybe some like really crappy graphic or like a f- they pulled up like a graphic <laughs> they drew. Like so it's really easy for someone to do it kind of I don't want to say lazily because putting something on any creative thing is not lazy. Sure. But yeah. you put a lot of extra effort to make it very clean and very professional. Almost like you're giving a PowerPoint presentation every week uh, about something to a group of business I, I would people. say it's much better than a PowerPoint. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking like a really good I PowerPoint. Mean, there's some good PowerPoints. Yeah. <laughs> like, like one of those great, but really great But I do think video essays are really becoming uh, a big thing yeah, for people to experience. Right now. Yeah. You know, whether it's uh, politics or language or film, mm-hmm. you know, people are utilizing, you know, not everyone always has time to read an essay or an, read an analysis that you can combine this video as well as the writing that you do, like hearing how much you write, you're going through 12 <laughs> drafts of your script, as it were, for the episode. That was 60, pretty amazing. 60,000 words. <laughs> 60,000? Well, 2,500. 20, no, I did that wrong. Yeah, it was 25,000 times 25. Math is not math my favorite. Number. Yeah. No, 3,000 3, times. Math. No, th- <laughs> oh, 40, 40. That's what I'm thinking of. 40, right? 3,000 times, I can't do it in my times 60. No, I used to be good Carry the one. <laughs> this is why we're creative. <laughs> yeah. um, well, on top of that, you yourself are a storyteller in your, sh- in your, in your uh, channel because you're telling the story of the screenplay in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I guess going from that, you know, what is it about storytelling that affects people and brings people together? You know, what, what is it that, you know, people can have so many differences, but... In, in the middle of an argument be like oh that's a sweet movie and then go back to arguing like what it is about storytelling that just brings people together whether you know film theater or television and if you want to break it down uh you know michael i'm looking at we're gonna do this okay i'm gonna call you michael you're gonna be lutheran lutheran or i could be our listeners know me as scoops as well okay you'll be one. scoops you'll okay. be scoops and you'll be michael okay. and michael feel free really... to call me scoops as okay. well. <laughs> you're going, michael, michael scoops is a cool nickname. michael i'm gonna give people okay. headaches for both of you guys what do you feel like it is that bring that causes people to be brought together by creativeness or storytelling it's i mean i feel like that's yeah like that's the question I, so it's the age-old question yeah like really quick tangent i happened to see hamilton last night i hate you <laughs> i'm pretty sure i commented i hate you i i, I saw that on, on, <laughs> on your instagram, instagram. long story short i was blown away and it's amazing and there was a moment you know in the second act where I just looked around at the audience and I, I like to do this when I see movies and I'm in a theater is like, just like watching people watch something and take something in. And I often think like if I were an alien, like this would probably look super weird. Like just a bunch of people staring at like a few other people, but like people get emotional when they watch things. And like it, there's clearly some kind of communication that's happening with storytelling. And it's, I think what's kind of interesting and mysterious about it is that there's no, like it's complex. Like there's there's a way that you can tell a story that doesn't affect anybody and there's a way that it can. And they probably look very similar to an alien, but for some reason we know the difference between, you know, a good story or a story well told and a story poorly told. When you were there and you were looking around, what were some of the reactions you saw and what, you know, what was your reaction to being someone that wasn't kind of a big fan or knew a lot about it? I mean, I think what I was most struck by was when, you know, they're very emotional moments and you could like hear people like 
sniffling, like trying not to like cry. And like, and I got very emotional a couple of times. And, and that's like the closest thing to like magic that I can like imagine. It's like there are people running around in costumes on a, like, <laughs> like if you just broke down, down the like atom by atom thing, like yeah, objectively. Like if, again, you were saying like if an alien came and watched someone specifically watching theater, not a movie, right. but theater, like there's people pretending on this stage and people watching right. those people pretend right and then like they're like crying <laughs> what is happening right now but I, I feel like that's i like i love those moments and i think that's what i love about storytelling is that it does feel like this kind of transcendent like there's there's a commonality amongst humans like like we can empathize with these imagined scenarios and and be moved by it and i think that's like the best part of humanity i'd like to know if there's a film or television show or scene or moment or song that truly impacted your direction or a moment in your life and i'll give an example to kind of help you know um my dad and mom got divorced when i was 14 it's getting dark (laughs) and my my dad cheated on my mom and there was a lot of stuff going on with it and i had a lot of and they kind of they didn't, I don't want to say lied, but they tried to, to, to protect me and cover mm-hmm. it up with mm-hmm. other things, which some of that other stuff was true also. But when I found out the truth, I felt kind of betrayed. And, and so there was a lot of resentment towards my father and, and stuff like that. And I didn't see him a lot. And when I did, it was really uncomfortable. And then I watched Dead Poet Society. And something about that movie really hit me and broke through. Like I remember, I'm even kind of tearing up now, like by the end of that movie, I was in tears, like just like uncontrollably sobbing. And I called my mom. My mom was somewhere. I was I was at the house and my mom was somewhere else. And I called her and she was like, what's wrong? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> and the more I thought about it, like the more I realized, like it was mainly about like the, the character who commits suicide at the end dealing with theater and how his father. And I was like, you know how and I kind of think like my dad was really supportive of me doing theater and very always supportive of anything I did. And it kind of like this weird feeling of like, I need to keep that. I need to rebuild that connection with him. And it's just weird. Like how that went to that, but it did. And like the next day I called my dad and we planned something. And after that, my relationship with him got better. And I was open to reforming that relationship with him in this new dynamic. And so in that sense, what is there something that's had that kind of impact on you guys through storytelling? Sure. Uh, It's not the first movie that I would have thought of, but just in terms of something that purely impacted me was the film Marley and Me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a very general story of like, you know, a family taking on a dog and seeing their lives together. And then like most movies about a dog, something (laughs) happens towards the end of the film. But for me, when I saw that movie, my family dog had passed away Mm -hmm. just a few months before seeing this movie. But it happened when I was away from home. You know? here, right? I, I was here. I had just seen her uh, for Christmas. And then when I said goodbye, I could tell it was a goodbye. Like yeah. the dog, like Leia, she, her name is Leia after Princess Leia. Awesome. Um, <laughs> it was the most different kind. Like it was the most human goodbye I'd ever had with an mm. animal because I felt her communicating with me that like, this is goodbye. Yeah, and it happened after we left. After the entire family left, this is deep. This getting, is getting deep, get, guys. Getting deep, guys. Get some but, Kleenex. Um, it had happened after all of us kids left the house, and it was just my parents. 
And I think it was her time of knowing like, okay, I've said goodbye to all my puppies and mm-hmm. now it's that time. And mm-hmm. so it happened when I was away. And of course I was devastated when it initially happened. But then my girlfriend, she was like, hey, this is on Netflix. <laughs> Do you want to watch it? <laughs> and like, this was like, I want to say like three years. Did she know? Oh, she knew. Well, yeah, Karen obviously okay. knew. Um, <laughs> Did she know what the movie? No, I okay. don't think. She, I don't think she knew. It's, okay. it's obviously a movie about a golden lab, which is the type of dog I oh, had. Wow. Yeah, watching that movie and it was like it was fun and everything. But then that moment in that film happens when it the the fall starts to happen, and all of a sudden that wall that I had built up of like thinking that I was over it and everything, all of a sudden it just broke through, and I've never cried harder in a mm. film. Like Karen was like, after the movie ended, she was like, oh my God, I am so sorry. (laughs) I did not know that this was going to happen. I thought this was just going to be a fun movie and stuff. But like, because I was that devastated. Like, it's like as if I had just gotten the call again that, hey, Leia's passed. But it was, that's also the side of like, it's a film about a dog, but it helped me grieve. And I think, you know, there's countless movies and shows where, and stories where that's a theme of the, the how to deal with grief and loss. And that was just something that I was not expecting. And it's so small and it's just a film about a dog. But, you know, it, it bridged my experience and it allowed me to actually feel that loss. Well, yeah, I think that's that's kind of like touching on what I think is also unique about storytelling is that it lets us talk about things that we don't talk about like as a culture like we don't talk about like grieving or death or like any of these like things and that's my example is uh inside out when i saw inside out like as a since we're going deep as a kid i was like a very emotional kid and like i would get sad or just like i felt my emotions very deeply and that kind of gets socialized out of you as a male in our culture of like men don't cry and like you're not supposed to feel like anything be numb to everything (laughs) right and so i think that there was a story and there's that like the moral of the story is that like it's okay to be sad like once like joy realizes like no like sadness is important too like it's all of the emotions that we feel that like bring us together and make life what it is like that was definitely a like cathartic moment of like oh like like anytime in a movie the message is like it's okay like it's okay to like feel what you feel like those are the things that like get me and like make me cry because it's like we don't say that as a culture to people and with inside out it creates a perfect bridge for adults to talk to kids yes and i and i know you talked about that in your analysis about it but oh that was so good even the loss of imagination yeah. Um, with the character, the elephant character, I can't remember his yeah. name. Uh, Bing um, Bong. Bing Bong. Yeah. But watching them accept the fact that he's fading and he's going away. And then that made me think about like, wow, at what point did I go from kid to teenager, teenager to adult? And that imagination right. stopped happening right. as much or was as clear. Yeah. Uh, so film or stories can create bridges to communicate about these difficult things, even across all ages. Yeah, and I feel like it's, yeah, I feel like when a story reveals, like, some kind of truth, I feel like that's when it's, like, whether it's something simple like Marley and me or, like, whatever it is, like, I think if the goal should always be to, like, communicate, like, a truth, because I think so much of how we communicate and socialize is, like, putting up barriers to, like, 
block from the truth or like the deeper like emotion and stuff. And I think that's what storytelling can provide for people is that cathartic release and acknowledgement of the truth. Well, going back to Hamilton, one of the things that I appreciate about that show as well is that it humanizes Aaron Burr. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's not something that was I was great. I was expecting. Like, I, like yeah. this is a musical and he starts off the show like, and I'm the guy, I'm the, the damn fool that shot him. Yeah. Shot him, shot him. Shot him, yeah. shot him, shot him. Uh, there's a million things I haven't done. <laughs> well, like the, the line real quick, just kind of, like the line where he goes, I'm the villain in your history. Right. Like where it's like, oh my, like it's so... It's kind of heartbreaking. But there's this like song, there's this moment in the show, and I haven't seen it. I've only listened to the uh, music, but Burr and Hamilton are separately celebrating the lives oh, of their Theodosia. kids. Theodosia, yeah. Theodosia. And it's, and, like, it's this wonderful humanizing moment of like, these are just two guys who really believe that what they're doing is right. And, that, that, and ultimately it's for their kids that they're doing this for. They're both fighting for the same thing. And I even connected with Burr's kind of Hamlet-esque stance of like inaction, inaction. I'm just going right. to wait for it and wait for it and yeah. wait for it and how that's ultimately his downfall. There's a yeah. song called Wait For It. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but that's the deciding factor between the protagonist and the antagonist. But I thought it was such a great way to, again, it's a, it's showing a moment of truth that whether you're on this side or this side, you can feel this as well. Well, you know, it's, it's one thing that gets me is how, and we kind of mentioned it a minute ago with In-N-Out, how... There's certain stories you that... You mean Inside Out? Inside Out. Did I say in, in and out? out? <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about the burger place. That, that terrible burger place. I cry um, every time. <laughs> every time because it's terrible. Um, Inside Out, where there's films that are meant for children to learn and to, to, to take something, but also we're adults. And Pixar is really good about putting in small adult jokes and things like that. And, you know, and then there's those where, as a kid, you may not completely understand. And then when you get older... You're like, oh, I get it. You know, going to like having a kid, Arrival, um, you know, which you've done a video about on your channel, uh, Michael, where the first few minutes of that, if you're a parent, is heartbreaking to watch. But if you're not a parent, it's different. It's a completely different experience. For, you know, and so it's so interesting to me also with stories that based on your life, uh, where you are in your life or what you're, what's going on in your life or your, your history, you can be completely impacted by a movie differently than someone else like you know you look at it's all like, subjective like spike lee movies i'm sure there's people that watch spike lee movies with a completely different context than i do and you know it's 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 so the the simplistic complexity of stories is fascinating um what's your first memory of storytelling not particularly like a movie but just story it's a good question it's hard because I feel like so many of my memories from as a kid, I worry are like made up at this point or just like, <laughs> like or, or you remember the stories that your parents have told you, right? Not just because this is a podcast, but listening to stories on tape on video on little cassette tapes. Uh, my parents um, had a bunch of roll doll uh, stories on tape, uh, Charlie and the chocolate factory. But the one that I clearly remember was uh, the twits. And it's this wonderful, you know, story about these uh, old couple who are just absolutely terrible to children and, you know, to the neighborhood and the uh, comeuppance that comes up from being so nasty to these people. But um, that really caused me to just like close my eyes and see it in my head. But I also brothers who liked playing dress up as well. Like we would watch uh, Davy Crockett, the old Disney Davy Crockett. And then, you know, they had like some clothes that we would put on and run around the house. So 
with my brothers, like they kind of introduced me to the idea of playing pretend, which I think ultimately is maybe where we, a lot of us start with storytelling is actually practicing it and the most basic of means of just playing. Right. I, I, you know, I have, I'm kind of the same way. It's audiobooks. Like uh, my mom and I would travel, but we always drove a lot. So she would pick, you know, her, her, her audiobooks that were, I would usually fall asleep during because they're they're about like murders in a small cove town like like that kind of stuff and like this this redheaded temptress that's a scientist and meets this dark loomy detective you know stuff like that but like you know my mine my biggest one is a story and uh what's funny is kurt mega mentioned on on his uh podcast story matters is hank the cow dog and hank the cow dog is a, a cow dog who thinks he's the best detective he thinks he's the best at everything but he's always wrong and there's a sidekick. How does he stay in business? Well, there's a sidekick. He's not like a professional detective. He's just like he lives on a ranch and it's like the case of the missing eggs and he, you know, stuff like that. But he has a sidekick that's kind of like a droopy dog type character that he always kind of like belittles, but he's the one that's always right. And then he always takes credit for it. And so it's this, but it's just this fun, but you feel bad for like the sidekick because he can, he's always right. This jackass yeah. is like completely, stressing me out yeah, just hearing about he it. <laughs> and like, you know, kind of our relationship, Michael. Um, uh, but keep you know, taking my ideas yeah. <laughs> continuously. Um, but that, you know, that's my first is like this weird comedy idea of like joke, but having kind of, it did have heart to it with these two dogs and like, this idea like you can make something special with animals uh you know uh we're like marley and me where he's not the main character but he is the main character yeah. in a lot of ways um is there something that you can think of uh uh michael tucker i don't i mean i i know that like my mom like would read to me a lot um but i feel like the first things i remember is like like watching star wars you're not supposed to like like kids like watch tv and movies all the time but like my parents did or i just would anyway i don't i I think I, that's where I started to learn things about like filmmaking and storytelling and just like, you know, if you watch the same thing over and over again, like even as a kid, you're going to pick up on little things that then make you ask questions like, how did they do that? And again, and even just like listening, you know, to all of us like talking about these experiences, these stories that have like moved us so much in my brain, I'm like, okay, but like, how does that work? Like, what did they do to like, to evoke that. Like, I think I've always had that where I want to know how something works or like, you know, looking at like you were talking about Hamilton and Aaron Burr and how they kind of like humanize him and looking back on him, it's like, yeah, it's really cool to like make him the narrator because he's present the whole time. So you sort of like get to know him and like empathize with him on the way, but like, you're not really conscious of it while it's happening. And like, like that's, I feel like I probably started to ask those questions because I watched so much TV and so many <laughs> movies and it's just, yeah. Well, it, you know, it leads it, it it leads you down. Like you start with you know the the twits or Hank the Cowdog or Boxcar Children and you know Star Wars, and then you lead to like for me like making up your own games that are story based and making up your own stories and and coming up with you know when you have a project where you have to write a short story for for someone like us it's easy to do because we're we're about stories we love that or you become really good at lying <laughs> because you know how to tell a good story um you know and or you can see a story in things you know and so that's kind of where we've become storytellers but to stay storytellers we have to have jobs <laughs> make money make yes. money um you know LA can be 
LA's fickle because you know when you you mostly come here to act or to uh, write or direct or you know to for me to do whatever I can do to make money. You know, I remember when I first moved here and I was like, I'll get a server job. It'll be simple. Getting a server job in Texas is super easy. There's not a lot of competition to get a server job. You show up and there's like one person other than you waiting to be interviewed. Here, they literally have casting calls for servers at restaurants because there's so many people that want that freedom. And so you go, you fill out an application, and then you have like eight interviews to be a server. So, you know, finding a job in LA can be difficult. For you guys moving here, both the obviously none of us are from here. What did you guys do first when you moved here to find a job? Like, what was your process to find a way to make money? Well, so when I moved down, I was, you know, had been working, like I said, uh, for Soundworks Collection, uh, like editing videos for them. So uh, I, at first it was like, okay, well, I'll be in LA, but I can still like edit and like just ship me a hard drive and stuff. And so I did that for like a month or two, and then it became very like clear that that was not going to be financially sustainable for him or just didn't made more sense for him to just find a local editor. It it would be fine. Okay. Well, what could I possibly do? And then a random friend emailed me. and was like, you know, about like filmmaking, like, do you want to be a script reader? And I was like, okay. And so my, my roommate and I for like three weeks were script readers for this random production company that worked out of the NBC universal building, but like that didn't last long. And so it was, I feel like, it was just a series of a friend being like, hey, I know someone that needs this thing edited or like needs this kind of motion graphics, saying yes to all these random gigs and, you know, kind of scraping by. And eventually more people know that you do work. So more people randomly contact you and kind of become sustainable. But it was hard because it's like I didn't know like who to reach out to or how to like find an editing position. And But you were directing yourself towards the film industry in some way. Yeah, you're you're shifting your way towards that. See, for me, before I moved, well, first of all, my roommate and at the time and previous guest Jazz Trice kind of told us like we have the apartment I'm moving in. So I kind of had a timeline or a deadline of like, oh, I need to move. So I kind of just put the feelers out on Facebook like, hey, does anyone have any leads on any jobs in LA? And I had a friend of college contact me about, hey, do you mind working a you know, nonsense job in a medical office just scanning records? Uh, and I was like, sure. So I moved to LA and you know, I was very fortunate to start that job. And I just said yes to an opportunity. But I also was very upfront about, I'm an actor. That's why I'm here. I need to be able to go to auditions. And if I book something, I need to be able to do that. And because at the time my job was so non-urgent, they said, yeah. And so I spent my days for the first few months and stuff just scanning records while listening to podcasts or watching Inside the Actor's Studio, just trying to be inspired, but also learn about Los Angeles. And I just kept improvising my way in that office and they kept giving me more and more work to do. And you know, five, almost six years later, I now still have that job. He now runs the place. (laughs) Almost. He's a doctor. He's the doctor now. I am a doctor now. (laughs) He didn't go to school. They just promoted him to doctor. (laughs) Yeah, they just gave me a white coat and said, like, can you see this patient? Can you see this person? That being said, I've had other jobs. Like, at first, it wasn't really that sustainable, and it was an independent contract. And once I finished scanning all these uh, paper charts for a doctor, I was done. And so then it was, like, reaching out more to the people that I had met while I was down here and 
you know, hey, do you mind working at a soda and candy store? Sure. I don't mind that. That's going to be something that I'm not going to keep for that long. I also tried the restaurant uh, <laughs> hustle that there's a whole podcast that could be just dedicated it's to ridiculous. the restaurant hustle. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, realized very quickly that <laughs> that is not meant for me. I, I remember like being just a host uh, at a restaurant in Westwood, uh, which is where uh, UCLA is located. And this place is, you know, it's a chain food restaurant and we get hit all the time with mass amounts of people. And I just got so sick to my stomach. I was so nervous. And I, that was quickly an experience that I cannot do this. You know, they say when when you get in, you know, in situations, you want to slow everything down and just (laughs) let it, let it sit. That's kind of what happened. That's what you do. You just, you let it slow down and, and figure out the pace you need to go at. Yeah, that, is, no, that would not work. That would that, that <laughs> didn't work for me either. Maybe it's a Michael thing. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Michaels are not suited for serving. Yeah. Ultimately, though, the job in the med- my medical office that I work in is the one that's been sustaining me the longest. But it was also the one that I was very upfront with, and like, this is what I am. This and they've is what been I really cool with mm-hmm. you taking like Fridays off to work on your craft or yeah. to when that's you have awesome. an audition to leave for a few hours to go to the audition or, mm-hmm. and, and you make it work. Like you switch with people, you make deals with people. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I make, I made it very clear to this doctor that I now work for like what my goals are and everything. And he, and I, I count myself very lucky because I know there's not a lot of people in this town that would just give someone a job with that type of flexibility. Yeah, he's super understanding. Great. Yeah. And, that's and so, awesome. and he's like, yeah, I, I get it. You don't want to be in the medical field. That's fine. And he doesn't hold that against me. It's yeah. a means to an end. But I mean, hearing stories like yours, Michael, where, you know, you're able to sustain yourself now creatively, I think is also cool. And in, in terms of like trying to find ways to make money, mm-hmm. you can get a job like mine where it sustains you and stuff mm-hmm. and there's major benefits. But I think it's an interesting challenge to also see like, what could you do for yourself? Right. If, yeah. if it all rested on your shoulders. Yeah. I feel like there is an interesting flip side and i think think there's probably a phrase about this but like i remember someone telling me before i moved to la like don't have your day job be the thing that you want to like do eventually because you'll get burnt out on it and i think that's definitely something that i've experienced since starting lessons from the screenplay is like it's a really awesome and it's really fun but like i spent all day either reading a script or writing my script uh for the video and so then when it's like okay downtime where i'm supposed to be like working on my own projects it's like I've just been writing all day. Like the last thing I want to do for is recreation write is write more. And so that's definitely been like a, you know, the struggle to this like really awesome setup that I have, but it's figuring out how I can maintain some kind of creative passion after spent using the, that part of my brain all day. You know, I've heard several YouTubers kind of say that where like whether they're gaming YouTubers or something like that where like mm-hmm. almost video games now are a business for or them. Work, so it's yeah. hard for them to just play video games for fun mm-hmm. anymore. When I moved out here, I had no job, no prospects of a job. <laughs> I came out here blind with my wife and we both were going to look for jobs. Luckily, we had saved a pretty penny. to. That's key. To, it's definitely yeah. having a good savings account yeah, when you move here. So you here. can establish yourself. Um, I mean, if you can come with a job, that's, you know, fantastic. Like Michael did, or if you can come with a personal set of skills like mm-hmm. Liam Neeson and <laughs> you can, you'll work for yourself a little bit. That's great. Um, but you know, I came and I, I hit Craigslist and I hit, you know, LinkedIn and you know, before there was a lot of, there wasn't, there's more job boards now than there were even more then when, you know, four years ago, but Glassdoor, things like that. And the things you find on there, man, <laughs> you can find some interesting stuff. But then also through friends, like I found my first serving job. I went to 
five interviews for serving jobs, different interviews or five different places, probably about 10, 20 interviews in between them because I've had one interview and then another interview and then another interview and then you don't get the job. Um, and so I found a serving job and then through other people, I found a job, uh, every now and then catering. I found a job setting up a movie film in the park type place where I set up the screen and I help set up all the sound equipment and then you break it down. Like, you know, so there's you that definitely through people and friends, people look out on Facebook. Uh, you know, that's where you're going to see people asking, Hey, does anybody want a job? We're looking for this. Well, or, Cause employers are always interested in, you know, people that their current employees can bring in. Recommend. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's something for you to risk by putting this person out there and like attaching your name to them. So they're, if, if you do that, you can speak to that person's quality. I was, yeah, it, it is frustrating that like the saying is true that like it's who you know, like it's all about who you know. And I think that's, I, I think I got really lucky because I from college had a close friend who was an extrovert and really good at making friends. And so I got here and he had already sort of like figured that out. But I think that's like, if I, again, if I could go talk to, you know, college younger Michael, it'd be like practice like, going to like a social event and like meeting people and just like it's terrible and you're gonna hate it but like knowing people is pretty much how everything i've done has happened well you know scoops i think your example is really good about go in and let them know what you're doing and who you are like i'm an actor this is what i'm gonna need and you need to understand that um and they can go for a lot of things. When I, you know, a lot of the places I went and served, I said, I have a beard. That beard's not going away. <laughs> you have to be okay with the beard. And when they're not okay with the beard, that's when I stop working there. In my many interviews to try and get a restaurant job, I would start off saying, like, I'm an actor. Because they're, tell me about yourself. And the minute sometimes I said that I was an actor, they were like, okay, stop. Mm -hmm. Like, so you're going to want Thursdays, Fridays, Saturday nights off, da -da -da -da, you know, just basically judging me for all the time that I could potentially need off if I booked a show. And immediately it was like, well, I don't want to work for someone like this. If this is how you're going to just read me uh, right out the gate. So sometimes by being honest and like, just, you know, making it clear what your passions are and everything. If the employer doesn't want to support that, ask yourself, is that where you want to work? Right. Well, the opposite side is also making sure like you tell, you let them know I will make it work. You know, I will get my shifts you know, switched or scheduled or covered or whatever. Um, I'll put it in in a good amount of time, you know, Halloween Horror Nights. I had, I was working at the restaurant and I had to let them know there's going to be a, like a few weeks where I can't work nights for on like Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays or Sundays. And so, you know, it, it's about being mature and honest and approach and not, you know, I some of them I wouldn't tell them I was a writer or an actor just because that does happen. But I, I do let, I make sure they know I am responsible for me and I will be responsible for me at this job and, you know, being open and honest with people and letting them know this is who I am and I'm willing to do this is important. Showing that maturity is important at an interview. Michael, as someone who, you know, you have your own business with lessons from a screenplay, is there, what advice would you give someone who hasn't maybe moved to LA yet and is thinking of being in business for themselves Knowing LA, knowing how, the, quote unquote, the business works, uh, is there anything that you would recommend? Um, I mean, I think practicing your skills, I think, is important. Like, I think that's the only way I was able to get by as like an independent contractor, besides the donations from the Michael Tucker Parents Foundation that, <laughs> that helped during a dark period. But I think 
you know, as if you want to be an editor, but you don't have any editing gigs, like go shoot something and edit it together. Like always be practicing both so that you're getting better and so that you have something to show people. Cause you know, that would happen where I'd get a gig and they'd be like, show me your reel. And I'd be like, I haven't edited anything in a long time. So here's something from five years ago that isn't really representative of where I am. So yeah, so I think uh, don't treat times when you don't have work as time to just goof off. Like I think I did that too much for a while. I was just like, oh, I don't have anything to do. I'll play video games all day. Like that's not helping you move forward. I think like not being afraid of like learning how to budget, I think is important. Like that's, I've always kind of liked numbers, but like budgeting is like a scary thing. But I think if you it's find- It's a very adult thing. <laughs> it is. It's a frighteningly adult thing. Uh, but I think if you can embrace it, it can also be freeing because then, you know, once you know where your money's going, it's like, okay, well, I know I can spend this on this fun stuff and I don't have to worry about it because I know where my money is elsewhere. And I think especially if you're planning on being an independent contractor and going into business for yourself, you just have to do that because that's what a business is. So you'll be surprised, guys, and I've, I've noticed this just working in other companies. Some people don't know how to interview for a job <laughs> or how to go to an interview for a job. Uh, what advice for someone maybe out there that maybe hasn't had to work a lot for whatever reasons? They just haven't had the they, they their parents felt the education was more important, and so they made sure that they were able to do that. Um, what advice or tips for applying or interviews at jobs would you offer them? I'd definitely say research the company, research the position that you're trying to go for, uh, but knowing the history of the company and that shows a lot about yourself. That shows that. Not only do you just need money, but you're invested in the company. You're invested in the specific people that you're trying to work with. And I think also looking at the skills, kind of what Michael, you were saying, like, look at what skills you have to offer them and make sure that you are skilled in those fields. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think go in with a certain amount of levity. Don't be super serious. Not, but don't laugh the entire time as well. <laughs> do you do you have any cr- uh, felonies? <laughs> Next question. Next question. Well, That's what they said on the podcast. To, to kind of add on to that, if you know who you're interviewing with, see if you can find stuff about that person. Also, the former place I worked at, when I found out the CFO's name, I looked him up on LinkedIn and found some other places he had worked and was able to ask him questions because if you ask questions, it looks like you're engaged. Well, and that's the that's the other aspect about it is that it's not just an interview of them interviewing you. You get to interview them. Booyah. Be in power for yourself. Is this a company that you want to work for? The minute the restaurant owner just started like mocking my dreams and aspirations, I knew clearly <laughs> I didn't want to hire this This is guy. my dream job. <laughs> you know, like I know they're the employer, but I didn't want to hire them. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Exactly. So I think also knowing that you bring a certain amount of power in the interview um, is a good confidence boost. And also like auditions, the casting director or this person, they want you to be the person. They don't want to interview a thousand people. They want to find the right person as soon as possible. Well, on top of that, like ask them about obviously the mature things, healthcare, uh, uh, bonuses, time off, like how much days do you get off? If you're someone that's an actor or may need to leave for certain reasons and you, or you like to travel, how many days off do you get that are paid? Um, ask about the environment. Ask about how the teams are treated. Those are things some people don't think about is what's the environment in the room? 
what you know if if something goes down is everybody just point fingers or does everybody get together as a team and fix it you know um i feel like that's something really important to ask yeah i am one of the people that you mentioned that has never really had to like interview for anything lucky (laughs) get out i know this is your apartment but get out um but but listening to everything you guys have been saying i feel like it all rings true to me especially when you know it's a September, I did. Um, I went to New York for a week and did this kind of pitch meetings week with uh, IFP, which is the really cool organization. Um, Google them, but but it was IFP. IFP. Okay. Yeah, the Independent Filmmaker Project. Anyway, but it was it was a week of taking meetings with industry people, and I feel like a lot of the advice that you guys were saying applies in those situations also, where it was like, you know, sitting down with someone that's like a decision maker and like you know you want to be engaged and ask questions like you were saying and I think what helped me is also arriving at a point where I felt confident in my work and that I was able to bring something to the table and I think that's maybe also why I was stressing like practice your skills so that when someone says can you do this you don't like be like well yeah I mean I think I can probably figure it out but like know what you can do and what you're capable of and like don't be shy about stating that one thing real quick i do want to add and this is really important because for some reason people don't get it don't wear sandals to an interview oh god or khaki what, shorts what, really oh yeah <laughs> i don't care what the job is if the job is a server at a beach villa <laughs> like dress with sh- closed toed shoes you don't have to dress in a suit but don't wear shorts and sandals and or you know it's it's maddening the amount of people that don't understand that show up on time and show up positively be excited be ready to engage because most of the time they're judging character they want to know you're going to be a team member they want a part of their team that you care about it's maddening how many people i've seen just like why are you wearing sandals so many times though we as storytellers once we've got the job and that we we're we're getting money to support our our love or our our career you know, then it's finally the time to do it, right? Of where you as an artist get to actually engage in your art. Uh, so another part of the discussion we'd like to bring up is, you know, talk about your, your evolution as a storyteller. You know, when did you go from like, okay, got some sense of security and now I'm able to finally work on this first project, whether that's as a director, a writer, actor. Uh, yeah, just very interested in hearing that process of like when you felt, finally secure to go and like actually start doing it. You know what, I guess your first jobs as a director uh, or as a writer, what were you like? What was it like for that, that first experience, whether it was like in college or, you know, who was that person doing that job? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. Cause like, you know, I sort of started directing, directing like in high school. Like that's when I really got into like filmmaking and would, get all the actors from the drama department and like wrote a script and like, all right, we're going to go make this movie. We shot a feature film basically during my senior year and before my um, first year of college. And I feel like that was uh, my trouble. I think was not having practice, like working with other people and like being really bad at giving actors direction. Like if they like my friends still tease me about the direction I would give them. Like, so like if I was an actor on that shoot, what, right. how would you have given me direction? So like, remember? so like we do a take and then I'd be like, okay, cut. So let's do it. A, let's do it one more time. 
uh, try it, do the same but different. <laughs> and action. <laughs> or oh, like, that note. You're really excited, but, but also different. like you're kind of afraid. Okay, and action. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> A lot of just like contradictory, like, because that's, I feel like directors that don't have practice talking to actors or know what it's like acting, like there's just, you know. <laughs> You're like saying, I want you to, these are the things that I'm looking for at the end of this process. Now go figure it out and somehow read my mind and know. And so I feel like that is something that I'm still embarrassed about. And I think when you're just starting out, I think you get excited about like your vision of a thing and how like I want it to look like this and it's going to be like that and it's going to be really cool. And I think you end up making something for yourself I think everything you make needs, you know, to be for yourself to a degree, but when it's wholly for yourself, I think that's when it can go wrong. So I think that's the thing that I have learned to appreciate and try to keep in mind when telling a story is like, this is for the audience. Like it's something that I'm excited about and there are things that I want to convey, but ultimately like this is, this is a generous process this is creating something for the audience and so like i think the shot is awesome and it's like exactly how i pictured it but it's slowing everything down <laughs> or it doesn't make any sense or it's just better without it so like you gotta get rid of it so i think like having it's like a, the balance of having enough ego that you're invested and you like drive the project to the end but also removing enough ego that like you make it for other people and not just for yourself. I normally speak in terms of being an actor on the podcast, but to this, I'll actually talk about my my experience directing a show as a full production. Uh, in college, I did uh, Julius Caesar. Uh, it was you know one of the first plays I read of Shakespeare that I was really captivated by, and I'd always wanted to direct this show, but I never felt like. I was with the right group of people or had the budget that I've, mm. I've always dreamt of <laughs> to do this show. For me, it was a different transition because so you had issues like communicating from director to actor. I was now going from actor to director and that transition was difficult <laughs> because as an actor, you're used to being given direction and now like taking that role of being confident in your vision and mm -hmm. communicating that, but also the trap of, I think many actor directors can fall into is playing the line or, you know, performing the role the way you want it, as opposed to getting it from the actor. And so that it took quite a few rehearsals to tamper that, that side of my actor brain down. It was my first time doing such a big scale project and there was swords and shields. And, you know, when it got to tech week and like people started actually getting injured, but I guess what I wasn't ready for was the rate at which it started happening to the point that after opening night, my Julius Caesar rolled his ankle. It was this make or break situation of like, I don't trust anyone else to do this. I'm going to go ahead and step into the role and, you know, got to put my actor brain back on for a second, but also like realize it's that I, in my head, had thought like, oh, it'd be so great to have this. I just started cutting, 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 cutting cutting the dialogue to what you actually needed to move the story along, then really kind of like talking to my actors in a way of like, now I need your help to bring me into this role. And so it was uh, interesting to be put back in those shoes yeah. at, at this process. Oh, I mean, my main will go from writing, but uh, as a, a director, I've 
you know, directed some small things when I was younger. And so like, I was definitely the same way. Like I need excited, but I need sad go. (laughs) (laughs) It's like not Not really, yeah, not even like, and then, but obviously I've directed a few things since then. Obviously I've got better. Hopefully I've directed Michael and hopefully I was better than that when I directed him. Um, But as a writer, I, I wrote a lot of stuff. I used to write poetry and music and stuff like that before I wrote screenplays. And I remember the first in college when I decided like to write my first like pilot uh, screenplay. Um, I had I, I sat down. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna write this. I have this idea. Let's do this. And I go. I don't know how to write a screenplay, <laughs> uh, or how to format a screenplay, or what a screenplay really is in a lot of ways. And so I just started. I I, I did a Google search. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> how to write a screenplay, and I saw like basic stuff. And I I picked a website that seemed like it was knowledgeable. And I used Word, and I started writing a, a screenplay, but it was written like a play because that's what I knew was playwriting. I didn't know centering the dialogue and stuff like that. So I wrote this big format. I wrote this thing, and I was like, "This is so good!" <laughs> and I I did a table read with some friends, um, and it they really enjoyed it, but they weren't film aficionados or anything like that you know nothing against them but they just you know they would love they loved i had something there so i think they liked that and then like i feel like a few years later i looked at it like recently i looked at it again because like i like the idea and if i could mature it i think it'd be really great and i looked i go what did i do like what why did i think this was good at all and you're writing and i'm like oh you know this is fine and i don't want to be this guy that does this so i'm going to do this and like you have way too many characters you have way too many plot lines going on at once these characters are like the scenes are meaningless half the time the dialogue's clever but it means nothing um and the format who could read this like who could generally as a write you know if i gave this to uh michael here he would be like what is this and I just remember reading and being so embarrassed by for like myself five years before that. Like you showed this to people and you were so proud of this. And like and then even going back farther back looking at like stories I wrote in high school, like these are terrible. And so like but part of that I think now and I think you guys can tell is like when you have evolved and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again and you know from the actor side Michael and is a director and, and Michael's a director and is a writer now. Um, you can go, I've grown so much. Oh yeah. And the moment, like I think the biggest thing for me is the moment I can start seeing those mistakes in others mm-hmm. and and professionally give them a critique about it, not just go, This is stupid, but like give them a professional critique and explain why it doesn't work yeah. is such a great feeling. Like I have gotten so much better. Yeah. It's, it's the exposure to the thing, right? Like since moving to LA and being involved in the LA theater community where there's so much creativity in terms of like how you utilize space and how something that could be grand, you know, if you put it in a small, you know, uh, attic of a theater or something like you can actually do something different with it. And I'll look at that. And granted, I haven't directed anything since moving to LA in terms of theater, but I always think back to Julius Caesar. Like I could have, I I was so taken with the bigness of it, of of having it be this epic thing. That had I been smarter about it, like cut all these parts, cut these things that don't really add to the plot. Uh, you know, just I would have also had fewer bodies on the battlefield, as it were, <laughs> <laughs> like real bodies, real bodies. Hurt. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, you you start. But that's 
I think the point of art and of being artists is like, as you go, you can see what others have done and what others do and how you reflect on what you've done and you can change it as you go. Yeah. There are just so many like hurdles that you have to figure out because it's, you know, I think again, looking back on my journey, I, as far as the writing goes, I skipped the basics because I was like, well, I don't want to do something like normal or like formulaic. Like what if it's this or like, and I think you can, I think it's easy to feel like you're doing great work. Kind of like we were talking about, like, I think the the less you know, the more you can feel like you've done something amazing. And then I think that's also like hard. Like I, I hit a wall at some point, uh, kind of post-college, kind of during my the year of short films where like everything I made from like early high school through college was like substantially better than the last thing. And I just got used to being like, I'm always going to get better. It's always going to be like the newest thing is the best thing. And then at some point it was like, it, that wasn't the case. And I was making things that weren't as exciting and compelling. And people were like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. And I didn't know how to like deal with that. And I think it took me a long time to sort of realize that it's, I was neglecting the important basic fundamental parts. And that like, it it's such a, I think I always knew that intellectually, but it's strange how much of a psychological barrier it is to like admit to yourself the things that you're doing wrong and then like shore up the energy to like put the work in to fix it. Yeah, I think it's a willing a willingness to put away your ego and go ask yourself like is this good and am i doing it right and and on top of that having people around you that you know are better than you (laughs) at certain things and again putting your ego aside going that person knows more about writing and storytelling than i do will you read this and give me your ideas and i used to kind of like hate feedback like, because I'd be like, oh, yeah. I thought this was good. You know, like you kind of put yourself down. It would ruin it for you. Yeah, it would, it would kind of ruin the moment for me. But now it's like I welcome it so much. And like, and anytime somebody gives me feedback, again, it has to be professionally mature, like not just the sucks. Like you've got to constructive, like give me yeah. your or, reasoning. Or even like, yeah, that's good. I like it. Yeah. But like, you know, that's not a critique. That's just, yeah, yeah but, that's a compliment. But when you're looking for critiques right, or right, something. Right. Yeah. Make sure you tell people. Yeah. Obviously, like, the best way to critique is a, you know, a critique sandwich you know, uh, uh, compliment, critique, compliment, if you can find them, you know, anytime I give any kind of feedback to someone, I make sure there's a meaning behind it. And I, I, I explain my feedback. I don't just go, I don't think that works. Well, I need to explain to them why I don't think that works. Or they're going to be like, well, why? Like, why doesn't it work? And so that's something I feel is really important that I appreciate. And one of the pilots I've written with Michael and that we worked on, I had a friend of mine who I really trust, who gave me some fantastic critiques and part of that critique it was long but all of it was substantiated critiques and explaining this and this is why i feel this or this is why you should do this and like and i'm like and reading that pumped me up to write the next draft like oh my gosh this could be so much better and i think that's how i look at it now not like i failed but it could be better and and in the end nobody's gonna know that john doe gave you that advice unless you tell them what they see has your name on it, unless that person forces their name on it somehow. <laughs> you know, Michael can give me advice about a script, but that script's going to say by Daniel Tuttle, unless it's genuinely a co-written or co-written story. So, in the end, you—it's still your baby. It's just someone helping you find the the best part of that baby. Yeah, because because you can't 
you lose objectivity as soon as you're working on something. And I think that's what feedback is there for, for me anyway. It's like, this is what I think it is, but what do people outside of my brain make of it? And and I think even, because I what I like to do with my videos is get, if I can, feedback from like my filmmaker friends and also like people like my mom that like don't know filmmaking and just like, and I think there are different kinds of feedback. And if you can practice like, you know, my mom will say like, I don't know, this one was okay. Or like this section didn't like feel that like good. Or like, I don't know why I can't explain it, but I really like this. And like, I think if you can, I think it's helped that I've learned to, you know, even if, when she has suggestions, they're probably the wrong suggestions. Cause my mom doesn't know how to, you know, <laughs> I, I love your mom. That's, I don't you know. understand why you need all this video. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I really appreciate what my mom did. Cause I know at least she's going to give me some feedback, mm-hmm. which helps, but I think it's, it's learning to like translate like this section feels off means like, okay, like something in here isn't working. And like, it's not up to my mom to tell me how to fix it. Like that's my job in this situation. But like, so I think it's also good to practice, you know, getting feedback from lots of people and then knowing what that, how to interpret that and what I that differentiate means. what, what feedback you need to take and being, yeah. and, and knowing like you don't have to take every feedback. Right. And that was going to be my next piece of advice is also just like know when your vision or when you want to hit publish. Because if you can keep getting more and more criticisms, but, you know, ultimately you have to hit publish or you have to you yeah. know, open the show eventually. Print it or, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, I think it's great that you send it to film people and non-film people because those are your audience. We have people who listen to this podcast that aren't really in the entertainment field. And so, you know, you're going to have both. The, when you go see a movie, there's going to be people that, examine that movie down to the the music and the core and the camera movements and there's people that are going to just go just to enjoy a film you know yeah like i always think like sometimes i get especially living in la you're surrounded by film people and you forget that like they're just like normal humans out there (laughs) that don't like dissect films but i always remember like watching king kong with my aunt the the peter jackson one and her being like how did they film this with the gorilla and i was like well cgi and she's like how do they do this with computer they did this with computers how did they and just like like there are people that just (laughs) accept what's on the screen and like ideally that's what you want the audience to feel anyway is like you just want them to be in the you know the story that you're trying to tell and so like getting thinking about the behind the scenes right and so i think it is it's always important to keep that in mind and listen to those people and like maybe when they say this part is kind of iffy it's not because they're stupid it's because you're too you know attached to your cinematic vision of it and like yeah so real quick let's kind of wrap it up what's the most helpful advice for your craft that you feel you have gotten or found or taken away that's helped you evolve and become better and maybe alleviate some of that stress so I guess I'll start with just as an actor, some of the best advice that I've just been given is to relax, to relax, to not push. Don't have your foot fully on the gas pedal. Just, you know, just have it on there and just go and not, and to go into your scenes or to any project that you're working on. Of course you, you bring your own experience and everything, but be ready to take in what others give you, whether it's uh, your scene partner don't have their don't have your reactions already pre-planned 
be natural, listen, react, listen, react, and be open to the filmmakers, the producers, the writers, the directors, be open to their notes about how you're taking on a role, but be natural to not think about it too much that you're getting in the way of your own performance. Yeah. I feel like that's good advice. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of advice. I'm trying to like kind of come up with specific things, but I feel like whenever I've been told like specific advice, part of my brain is always like, well, that's not always true. We're like, maybe over, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't do that sometimes. I'm like, so I feel like it's, I don't know that I have any specific, like when this happens, do this kind of advice other than kind of piggybacking off of the relax. Like filmmaking is hard and like whether you're writing or directing, like it's hard and it's, I think a lot of people get into it because it's fun and it can be fun and it will be fun, but it's also hard. And I think the more I've learned to embrace that and understand that that's the process that like sometimes you fail or sometimes everything goes wrong, but like that's, that's what it is. Like when that's happening, you're doing it right. Like that's what filmmaking is. Yeah. I, I would say relax and, 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 and kind of going with that is like being open to those who are better than you and understanding like they know they've been doing this longer but again being able to differentiate those critiques or those that knowledge and be able to take it kind of cherry pick but don't be afraid to ask for advice don't be afraid to give your your script to somebody and be open to what they say and listen to them and if nothing even if you're like no 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 you totally missed the whole point of the show you know still listen because there may be something in there that you go yeah, there's a reason they feel that way. So even if the specific things they're saying are yeah. st- stupid, you can forget those. But try to figure out why, why are they saying that? Why, they're why saying are they that? saying that? What What do you need to fix? Maybe if they're not getting the scene, or they're not like, are they brothers or sisters? Well, why don't they know that they're brother or sister? Uh, now I, I believe we have some Twitter questions. Yes, we from do. Mr. Michael okay. Tucker. Yeah. Okay. So before you know, we came over to your amazing apartment. You know, <laughs> we sent out a tweet just saying that we're going to be recording today. And so we have quite a few questions, which oh, is oh. exciting. Okay. Um, the first um, is from J- at James W underscore CF. And uh, they ask, has he ever thought about becoming a qualified teacher? Not saying YouTube is anything less, <laughs> but as in teaching lectures, sure. um, etc. I've thought about it, but I've pretty much always known that I, I don't think I would make a good teacher, like in a classroom setting. Uh, I, I have known teachers and I, I think it takes a special kind of patience and enthusiasm that I think, uh, I might have at first, but that would run out pretty quickly. So, I mean, maybe that'll change as I get older. Um, but I feel like that's what I like about doing YouTube videos is like, this is that is preferred way of teaching. Um, I think I might've told you about this last time, but uh, one of my best friends in Northern California, he's now an English teacher and he actually used your arrival uh, video and he showed that to his uh, classroom. He teaches, um, you know, English and kind of using that as a means to how to form, you know, just because you, you know, here's the source material, but you know, you can create and elaborate more on the themes and everything like that. So I, even though you might not think of yourself in a classroom, you've actually appeared in a classroom, <laughs> uh, at awesome. least one. Yeah. Then the next question is from uh, Josiah Bradley at Joe Brad Online, and they say, Michael, what anime or animated movie slash TV show would you like to do 
a talk about in the future. So I get this question a lot and I haven't seen a lot of anime and that's kind of the shame that I have in this when people ask me this question because uh, I know there's a lot of great anime. I think I just wasn't exposed to it young enough and so it's I have trouble getting into it a lot of the time but I I do want to kind of force myself to examine it and you know so many people are like there's great stories being told like you should look at it so or there's even stories that are now being adapted in hollywood right like ghost in the shell where um many people compare to the animated series yeah Um, yeah so i don't have any i don't have a specific answer but maybe in the future maybe in the future i think we have time for one more it is xavier at uh, yzi filmmaker saying, have you directed any movies that you are proud of? <laughs> uh, I have. Uh, I am proud of Anamnesis, the web series that we talked about maybe in part one. Um, we released several years ago. Uh, I think the short, there are two short films that I've directed that I'm most proud of. One is called Imperfect, and it's kind of like a sci-fi film noir, uh, which is one of the films we did in that year of finite films. Um Oh, and Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was the the first one of those short films that I felt good about. And like I actually put in the time and research and, and felt like a good example of my skills at the time. So I liked that one a lot. And then there was a movie I made in college called Dick, D-I-K. It's a long story, but it, it's like, it's kind of like, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind meets Punch Drunk Love meets College Angst. And it was just like, it was a, just one of those like experiences where from start to finish, it felt like this is going great and this is exactly what I want it to be and like really expressed how I was feeling. So again, for where I was at the time, I was very proud of that short film. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for yeah, the questions. Fantastic. Thank you. Guys. Um, we'll make sure to tag the, tag you when this episode comes out. Um, but and yeah, if you have more, so if you listen to this and you have more, send it to us, and we'll send it to Michael. And I'm sure he'll be willing to throw them at, throw answers back at us that we can get out to you guys, or he'll he'll answer them on his Twitter at Michael Tucker LA. Obviously, you have your YouTube your YouTube channel lessons from the screenplay. Is there anything else coming up that people should look out for, or nothing that I can point to specifically? But my plan for 2018 is to dive back in and really work on some of my own projects that I've been developing. I have a good friend of mine is working on a feature script that I've been helping him out with. That's like a fun sci-fi time travel thing, which I'm always a fan of. So I'm hoping 2018, I start to be able to get some of my own work out there. And then channel wise, I, I want to keep growing the channel, hopefully start to interview some actual screenwriters and maybe tiptoe into the realm of video game writing nice that's fantastic um now usually we 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 chatted a lot between episode recordings usually i ask for six numbers uh for a fun game that we play um before facebook and twitter there was a and friendster there was a place called myspace (laughs) uh and on myspace people would put way too much into their profiles which would take forever to load or your top eight became the most important thing to people. Uh, if you weren't in the top eight, then you weren't friends. Um, there was also these quizzes that people would put out that had nothing to do with anything and were a waste of time. 
And I found one of those waste of time quizzes. And I found let's waste some time on this podcast and ask questions from them. There's 167 questions. So, Michael, one at a time, if you'll pick a number between 1 and 167, and if you can maybe go in a numerical order since I have to search for them, since I didn't ask ahead of time, like a good host. <laughs> uh, seven. Seven. Perfect. Have you ever kissed someone and regretted it? Uh, yes. <laughs> Did you regret it? <laughs> or yeah, are you trying to figure out if it was actually a kiss? <laughs> What, is, to out a th- what I, is a kiss? I try not to like look at life in terms of regrets, right. but I feel like in this case it was a minor one at least. Yeah. Okay. Next number. Um, twenty-one. Uh, what's your relationship status? Uh, I am in a relationship with movies. <laughs> no, he's he's a, we met her. She's a lovely person. <laughs> she is. Uh, next number between fifty and a hundred. Fifty-two. Fifty-two. Do you believe? In miracles. For being like strictly objectively speaking, like, yeah. no. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, next next number between 50 and fifty and 167. 93. 93. I don't think anyone's chosen, I think. Have you ever walked outside in your pajamas? <laughs> ran- <laughs> I told you these are random questions. Uh, yes, of course. All right. And uh, your next number? Uh, 142. 142. Can we pass that already? Nope. I mean, you can anywhere between 50 and 100 times. Um, did you ever win a trophy in your life? Uh, I did. Uh, throughout, like, elementary school and middle school, I was always really jealous of, like, the people that played on the sports teams and got cool trophies and stuff. And then at the end of eighth grade, at graduation, my media video teacher, who was, like, saw how much I was into movies and, like, I was really like loved the class and helped make stuff presented me with this massive huge trophy with like a camera on top nice. as like the best media video student and i was very touched by that oh fantastic yeah. um i believe we have two more right uh two more numbers um uh, 154 154 do you wear makeup uh no okay <laughs> and your final question of your myspace quiz 167 167 did you f- have you ever found something valuable on the ground? Um, oh, I want to say yes. I feel like there's something interesting, but I can't. <laughs> a gold doubloon. <laughs> As a Michael, I can tag in real quick. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I used to collect like random treasures that I would find on the ground, and I had this little box when I was young of like buttons and uh, like randomly. I don't know how I found it, but it was like pieces of actual chain mail like linked together and everything and like or if there was like a necklace string or whatever like i would always collect that and i thought that that was my treasure (laughs) nice very cool well michael thank you so much for this time you've been so generous and we truly appreciate it uh we we can't thank you enough uh thank you michael (laughs) (laughs) for being here as well (laughs) uh you're always a pleasure to chat with you about these fun topics oh definitely uh it's been such an honor talking to you michael and if you're listening now you should check out lessons for lessons from the screenplay lessons for the screenplay and lessons Lessons for the screenplay and lessons from the screenplay now uh, from from experience don't type in michael tucker because there's another michael tucker that puts videos up. Is there? Apparently, yes. He, he is. He is a uh, tall white guy. <laughs> Different <laughs> from what is from his picture. Um, so type in lessons from the screenplay. That's the best way to find his channel. You'll see a picture uh, icon. This is L F T S. 
Michael, where your can mind people, will be blown. Michael, where can people find you if they want to chat with you? Uh, I am at Michael Lutheran on Twitter and Instagram. Yep, I am at D Tuttle on uh, Instagram and at Daniel Tuttle. That's E L. Uh, on Twitter, <laughs> and you can also find us at, at LA Hustlecast on Twitter uh, or Hollywood Hustle Podcast on Instagram. Or you can email us at Hollywood Hustle Podcast at gmail.com if you have more questions for Michael or you have thought about doing a YouTube channel yourself and you want some advice. I'm sure Michael is more than happy to answer if he can. Uh, you can also visit our website at Hollywood Hustle Podcast.com. Uh, thank this is this is like an outro. I know. <laughs> uh, you'll hear more of this in the outro. <laughs> Or we'll just cut this out. Uh, Thank you so much, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Back to you, Michael, in the studio. Hey, everyone. Michael Lutheran here again, ready to discuss some of the topics and ideas that we just shared in this Act 2 discussion with Michael Tucker. Now, first of all, Michael is such a great guy. And so welcoming. As Daniel mentioned in the intro last week, we had to meet up with Michael to re-record due to some equipment malfunction. But he was totally down to talk more about story, and we really got into it this week. The act of storytelling and, and how it brings us together and teaches us. You got to hear from me a very personal story about when I saw Marley and me. And Michael with Inside Out, both examples of experiences or emotions that would be difficult to verbally express otherwise, and yet helps serve as what Tucker describes as a catharsis of truth. You know, whether it's a musical in which the narrator is also the antagonist, or it's a film about a family and their dog, or two emotions trying to figure out how to coexist with each other, these stories focus on the complexities and intricacies of the human experience and hopefully leaves us, the audience, more aware and empathetic and affected. We also discuss another important aspect of the Hollywood hustle, and that is the job hustle, the daily grind, the pursuit of employment that can sustain our creative endeavors until we can reach a level of success with that in which we're able to hopefully get paid for doing what makes us fulfilled. I thought Daniel offered some great advice when it comes to the job interview doing your research about the company and knowing what they like, ask questions, and inquire about the job environment. All seemingly small details, but I can tell you, if you're going to be spending anywhere from 18 to 40 hours of your week at this job, you want to make sure that you can thrive and be happy there. As we know, there's sometimes a lot of rejection or waiting that comes with being an artist in Los Angeles. And you want to make sure that wherever you're working, that it's going to be a place of support. And I also stand for the mindset of thinking of a job interview as an opportunity for you to interview them and to weed out of this someone who is going to support your goals or not. And of course, whether you have an employer or your own business, Michael Tucker's advice on keeping a flow of practice and being up to date is key to any industry, especially as an artist, that way, when an opportunity comes along, you are ready for it and not surprised by it. And it that kind of mentality reminds me of this very famous quote by Denzel Washington in which he says, Luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Anyone can be lucky but not be prepared for the opportunity that's thrown at them. But when that opportunity does come your way and you are prepared, whether that's 
knowing your lines and knowing your craft or um, being in any kind of physical condition that you need to be in to be a dancer and go on the stage or having your screenplay ready to go. Now, what did you think of our first roundtable discussion of 2018? What are some memorable story experiences that you've had, whether it's a, a specific movie or TV show that you've enjoyed watching, or maybe it was a story that you were told by your mom and dad or, or grandparents when you were younger? Uh, how about job searching or interview tips here in Los Angeles or any other major market city? We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Twitter. We're at LA Hustlecast and on Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Or if you'd like to send us a private message, uh, go ahead and send that on over to Hollywood Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to shoot us a personal message to us individually, I can be reached at Michael Lutheran, uh, Michael Tucker at Michael Tucker LA. And that's both on Twitter and Instagram. And Daniel could be reached at Daniel Tuttle on Twitter. That's T U T T E L or D Tuttle on Instagram. And there was. There was so much talked about in this interview, some of which we had to actually take out because we just kept going on and on about these topics. But be on the lookout as we post some bonus content in the coming days and weeks, if not certainly on our Patreon when we launch that later this year. But for more on story, check out Lessons from the Screenplay on YouTube and consider joining Michael's Patreon for more. Next week, we sit down with another Michael. You know, I'm loving how 2018 shaping up already. And this is with a very close friend to the podcast, Michael Tobias. Like Daniel, he's a fellow Dallasinian, Dallasonian, uh, someone from Dallas, Texas, uh, whose creative journey has taken him from screenwriting to producing a web series called Buffering, which starred our previous guest, Kurt Mega, to his career as a poet, all that and more. A new artist and a new story all coming to you next Tuesday, January 30th. Until then, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Keep telling stories and always remember to keep up the hustle. Hollywood Hustle Podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced and edited by Michael Luther. Our website was designed by Mike Tobias and you can find more information about us at www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.